0: From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators.
1: Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Good things come to those who wait. And after 103 years, Gator Baseball claimed their first national championship with a sweep of LSU in the finals of the College World Series. On this week's show, we'll recap a perfect ending to the athletic season by hearing from head coach Kevin O'Sullivan, senior outfielder Ryan Larson, sophomore pitcher Jackson Kowar, freshman pitcher Tyler Dyson, and FloridaGators.com senior writer Scott Carter. Let's begin with the man who's elevated Florida baseball to the next level. Kevin O'Sullivan has taken the Gators to the College World Series in six of the last eight years since arriving a decade ago, and with the roster still stacked with young pitching, the program shows no signs of slowing down. Jeff Cardozo caught up with Sully after Wednesday's championship celebration in Gainesville and asked him what it meant to finally climb to the top of the mountain.
0: Well, I never look at it as a failure of a season when you don't win the whole thing out in Omaha because there's only eight teams that are fortunate enough to get there, but You know, this team was a little special um, in in terms of their togetherness and their grit. And, you know, obviously our starting pitching was outstanding the entire year and withstood some injuries and we had some other guys step up and um, it was an interesting year. But um, just really happy for the players. They earned it. I I think this was the best field that we were in in the six of the eight years we've been out there. I thought it it was a very complete field and, you know, they certainly earned it.
2: You look at the way that the season played out, and the way that it started at Auburn to, to there the, to start off the SEC, and to come back and, and win the, the SEC regular season, and then just have all the things that happened, and you, you got to play that, that extra game in the regional. You got to play another game in a super regional, and then yeah, I certainly had to play another game to, to get to the finals in Omaha. But it seemed like this group was built for that. They, there was a lot of one-run games, a lot of close games, and it didn't seem like any of that stuff bothered them.
0: No, they, they they withstood a lot this year. There was a lot of close games, a lot of low-scoring games, and. We played great defense, too, you know, with Michael Byrne with 19 saves, I think he had in a year, broke a record. And I think we found our identity about halfway through on on what we needed to do offensively to be successful. I think I saw a stat the other day. We were like 40-8 and when we scored three or more runs. So the team was built differently than maybe some of the teams in the past. But they got hot. They got some timely hits. And, you know, we we made some, some really key plays down the stretch. I think Nick Corbett's play. Um, the throw in from right center field, we played LSU. And obviously, JJ's play last night to throw out the run at first, I thought, were two outstanding plays that you know, may have changed the game.
2: And you need stuff to happen like that in Omaha. And I know over the years we've had a lot of things happen against Florida, and certainly you remember what happened in the Coastal game last year, but this year the bounces were happening. and you know Every team's good out there, so you've got to obviously play well, but you also have to be lucky at times, and, and you have to make your own breaks. And it seems like that's what this group did throughout the College World Series.
0: I do. I, I, th- I would agree with you, Jeff. I think we had some things go our way, but we played, I think, our five last games we played airless ball and – you know, when you do that and you don't beat yourself, you give yourself a chance. And like I said, the starting pitching was just outstanding, you know, and obviously getting a... And you have to have somebody step up, you know, and Tyler Dyson was that guy for us this year. He stepped up in a huge game. And, you know, what more can you ask somebody, you know, his freshman year, is only second start, and he goes six innings against LSU uh, for a chance to win the national championship. So... A lot of things have to go right, and, and they certainly did for this
2: club. you got a luxury that you know, I think a lot of coaches across the country would love to have, a first-rounder in Fayeto. Brady's going to be a first-rounder next year. Jackson Core, tremendous, and he continues to get better and better. So those three guys, just uh, what they've meant to you throughout this entire season.
0: Yeah, they've, they've anchored our whole staff. And I think going into this thing, we, we needed to figure out our bullpen. We weren't quite as deep as we have been in years past, but when you get the postseason, you don't need that much depth. you know, Um, I I know last year our pitching depth allowed us not to lose a single midweek game. Obviously, this team was built differently. We were built more for the weekend, and I thought that if we were given the opportunity to get to
2: Omaha, I I did like our chances with Fajardo, Singer, and Kowar. I know uh, throughout this entire process, the College World Series, you've learned some things over the years, and and you took this one game at a time. You weren't looking ahead, but when you got to it being LSU and being familiar with those guys and and how Paul's going to coach and Did you think that was an advantage, a disadvantage, or it was just, you know, maybe knowing these guys, we can go out and just try to compete against them?
0: No, it definitely took some of the edge off, for me anyways. I I knew our opponent very well, and I'm sure Paul knew us very well. And it just so happened that, um, you know, we just were one run better on Monday night, and then obviously this was a two-run game, you know, I mean, a two-to-one game going into the eighth inning last night, you know, so two very very talented teams going head to head and you know like i said our guys gritted it out and fought and, and played loose i think that was the biggest thing they were very very loose and um
2: and they were very you know very composed yesterday i think you had a bunch of guys too that were able to get rid of all the noise you know all the yelling and screaming from the lsu fans as loud as they were and certainly some big time moments there were some big pitches that need to be had and i thought the outfield played great in game two they ran down a lot of balls um, so just getting rid of and being able to get rid of all that outside noise, that was pretty big too, wasn't it?
0: It was, and we, we talked about it. You know, we're playing LSU. We're not playing the fans. You know, the, the fans have nothing to do with it. They're not throwing a single pitch. They're not having, a, you know, there's, there's no at-bats coming from the stands. And our focus was totally on how are we going to beat Pochet last night and, and how are we going to try to get to their bullpen. We knew they were going to go to Zach Hess, and, you know, we had a tough decision to make there at the end. You know, I think one of the biggest outs of the game, other than J.J.'s play, was the strikeout by Michael Byrne mm-hmm. to get the plan. So, you know, now we have a first and third with one out. You know, at that point, we we're warming up Jackson. I was just a little hesitant because if we did have a game three and I use him, then, you know, then you kind of look foolish. And, and then who do you throw game three? Um, but I just felt at that point, some decisions are just gut decisions. And I just felt like if we were going to try to get out of this thing, at least with a tie score, that Jackson gave us the, the best chance. And Quite frankly, I did not like our chances against Alex Lang. And I would never tell our players that, but I just, Alex Lang is like Alex Fayeto. And if we were having Alex Fayeto on the mound and matched up with Alex Lang, I, I would take that matchup, knowing that both starting pitchers were gonna be you know, equal. But going into the game without Jackson Kowar potentially against Alex Lang was not a great matchup. And quite frankly, we had used Michael Byrne a ton down the stretch here and we just didn't have a whole lot of depth. So I didn't, I didn't like the matchup. So we rolled the dice and um it just worked out yeah
2: great coaching move certainly and speaking of coaching just uh being here 10 years now and all the the great names you look back upon and and so many big moments and so many big guys that are now playing at the professional level um I know it's got to be cool to look back on those guys get all the text messages that you've had from all those guys and just know that uh really now 103 years of Florida baseball players get to to celebrate this national championship with you
0: yeah you know I haven't, haven't had a chance to go through all my text messages yet but um uh, one in particular on my on my way in here tonight before the celebration, Alex Pagliotis texted me congratulations, and I just um, I just sent back to him, quite frankly. You know, he, he was one of the key guys that laid the foundation, and this is an attractive program that has had so many good teams throughout the years. It's just very difficult to win the last game of the year. And, um, you know, this championship is for a lot of people. It's for our players, it's for our staff, it's for our fans, you know, it's for the former players that played here. It's just kind of a neat thing. It hasn't really sunk in yet. I'm still a little numb. Still trying to take it all in. But um, just really, really, really happy for our players. And, and like I said earlier, you know, I, I don't know, our, know if our players truly understand the magnitude of what of, of what just happened and of being the first team to win a national championship in baseball. And no one, you know, ever be able to take that away from them. And you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the road, you know, the brotherhood that they've established and, and been able to stay together throughout the year and grind through some. Really tough moments, um, some injuries, and some tight, tight games, and, and to be able to go out to Omaha and actually pull it off is um, is, is really special. And I, I know down the road they're going to appreciate it even
2: more. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a privilege to uh, to be around the entire year and to see the ups and downs and uh, turn into to what we saw at uh, the College World Series final. So congratulations. All right, thanks, Jeff.
1: You don't see many seniors in college baseball, and true to form, this Florida squad had just two in Ryan Larson and Frank Rubio. We heard all about Larson's journey as a Gator back on episode 81, and now that it's come to a thrilling conclusion, we wanted to find out how it felt for the Orlando native to go out on top.
3: You don't think about it until uh, it happens, and it's happened, and uh, you know, I couldn't be happier for the team and everyone who put in uh, all the hard work. We
1: talked about the process and where this team sort of turned a corner. Now that you're at the end of the road, where do you really think that was, and at what point did you realize this team could do something special?
3: I mean, everyone's kind of been talking about that Auburn series. It was kind of the low point. It was the only time uh, I've been swept in my career, and uh, it kind of makes you reset, regroup, and I think that was was what this team needed, and uh, it really got us going in the right direction. Experience seems really important in Omaha. Now that you got over that hump and you had that
1: experience, what do you think that meant to have been there and gone through what you did the last few years?
3: Yeah, I mean, it helped us tremendously. I mean, Alex Fajardo, you know him. When he's coming in, he's going to throw strikes. He's going to do his thing. And even Brady, you know, only being out there once. Again, you just knew that he'd been there before. The moment wasn't going to be too big for him. And, you know, he stepped up big and, and did it.
1: You guys lived on the edge this entire postseason. So many elimination games, so many close games. What kept you going through those, and, and where did the confidence come from?
3: Uh, I think those 1-1 games throughout the year really built up the confidence in knowing that you know if we fall behind or if we have a must-win game, to not you know try and play outside of ourselves or anything we can't do, just let it happen and, and try our best, and it works out in the end.
1: Can you tell us the story of the Rally Cup? Because I don't think people understand what exactly happened, but there was all of a sudden a cup and a bag. Tell us about the Rally
3: Cup. So you're going to have to ask somebody else because I wasn't in the dugout you're, when that you're not, happened. You're not the Rally uh, Cup no, guy? I am not the person to be asking about the Rally Cup. But supposedly it got knocked out of uh, Milchin's hand, went onto the field, and it sat there for the whole inning. And we ended up scoring some runs, and it worked out and was coined the Rally Cup.
1: So beating LSU to do this, how special was it to not only win this, but to do it against an SEC rival to mean even maybe more than it would in other circumstances?
3: It definitely meant more going up against LSU. I mean, that's the type of team that uh, after every SEC weekend, you see how they did. You see where they're ranking. And at the end of the year, we were tied uh, for the SEC championship. So we had some unfinished business to do, and I'm glad we took care of it final out in Omaha as you're charging
1: in I mean what's going through your mind when you know the final out's about to happen and it's all culminating in championship
3: to be honest I don't I don't think I watched the final out I saw him hit it towards second and I knew it was going to be a an out and I just put my head down and couldn't believe it and ran out there and what a moment with your teammates you've been through so much for four years Uh, I mean it was amazing amazing feeling you're part of a very small senior
1: class. It's just two of you guys. To be the first national championship team for the Florida Gators
3: and to go out as a senior doing it, what does that mean to you and to, to Frank? I know Coach Weitzel talked to us about it uh, throughout the year, being the first senior class to do it. And um, like Sully said uh, just earlier, you know, it might not mean so much to us now, but in 10, 20 years when we come back and we were the first team to do it, you know, we're the only team that can say, hey, we brought the first national championship here. So I mean, it's really, really special.
1: We spoke about a month ago. You said there's some other things you wanted to do, but you had to take care of this first. Now this is done. Your plan day is here over. What does the future look like, and what are you gonna do with some of your free time coming up?
3: Uh, I have no idea, and I think that's the uh, the beauty of it. You know, I'm gonna see where life takes me, and uh, you know, just gonna enjoy the ride and lean back on these relationships that I built uh, here at UF, and they're definitely uh, definitely have some friends for a lifetime. What's the handicap you're going to get down to now that you've got time to play? Oh, uh, now that i got time to play, It's I'm going to be playing a lot. We're going to go play tomorrow, <laughs> kind of the last hurrah with all the guys that play golf. So uh, that should be a lot of fun. Ryan, thank you. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.
1: One of the gutsiest moves Sully had to make down the stretch was going to Jackson Kowar in the eighth inning of Game 2, even though he was penciled in to start the third game if necessary. We'll never know what would have happened on Wednesday night because Kowar got the save and was the first dog in the proverbial pile. We asked a sophomore from Charlotte what it felt like to literally have an entire team on top of him.
4: Well, at first, I, I ran over to first to, to cover because I thought JJ might run over and get it. And then when I got halfway there, I realized it was going to be the ball game. So uh, I threw my glove. I started running towards, towards Mikey. And he, luckily, he didn't just house me. He kind of <laughs> let, let me down gently, and then I just made sure I laid flat on the bottom. Because in high school, we won a state championship, and I got destroyed. So I kind of learned some tricks of the trade and laid flat. That way, I, I was a little more safe down there. How long did it take to get out of that? I mean, they, you see it, and then the camera's cut away.
1: How long are you at the bottom of that for, and, and do you start to suffocate?
4: No, I was lucky. I kind of like squirted out to the, towards the back, so <laughs> no one noticed you snuck. No, up. so I snuck out a little bit. But we. Well, it's like our third dog pile this year, so we've actually gotten pretty good at like we get do we do the dog pile, and then everyone instantly gets <laughs> up. Like we don't waste any time, so no one gets hurt. So we're smart. Looking at the journey
1: it took to get to this moment, and I talked to Ryan Larson about it. And there was just so many moments where you guys you could have fallen over you, you could have slipped along the way but you kept surviving and you
4: kept fighting what was it
1: about this team that allowed you to continue moving along this path
4: i mean i think we just had a really really close group of guys i mean no matter what baseball teams are always close just because you know the amount of times you mm-hmm. you spend together early in the weight room all fall so everyone every team is close i just think this team had a bunch of unselfish guys who were really comfortable in their roles and they didn't you know panic under pressure i think we had a lot of confident guys and uh the older guys were great leaders and, and i think that was the difference.
1: You're still young, so you've only ever experienced going to Omaha with this team, but how important was last year's experience to being able to go there this year and have a totally different performance?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think last year was tough for everybody. Just really felt like last year was going to be the year. We had the pitching to do it, and, you know, we just didn't get the bounces. I mean, like Sully said earlier, uh, you know, they had a ball, Coastal had a ball land on the chalk, Mm -hmm. scored two runs with two outs, and J.J. hit a ball in in the gap that was hit 500 feet, and the wind just knocked it down against Texas Tech, and you know, a couple of things go different. We might have won it last year. And then, you know, this year, of course, we hit a base with a ground ball. It just right. seemed, it just seemed like it went our way. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of that is just our guys putting ourselves in that position. And, you know, I think everyone here was, you know, had learned from that experience last year. And, You know, kind of felt that heartbreak and kind of pushed you just a little bit more uh, in the fall and just gave you that little extra push you needed. For you personally at the World Series, didn't have a great outing against TCU,
1: and then the next thing you're called on to do is to come in in that situation with the game on the line in the finals. What's your mindset going into that and really not having a lot to, to fall back on?
4: Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, me and had a conversation before the game, and, you know, I said, if there's a situation that you think that it'd be, you know, best, I'm ready to come in, and I can still go tomorrow if need be. So, you know, I, my outing is TCU. I got only lost of the, of, the, of the series, so I figured I at least made it up, and, uh, there's so many guys that, probably, you know, Burn probably deserve to be out there more than anybody to get the last out, but I'm glad I could be out there and finish it off for the guys. You're still young, as we noted. What's next?
1: How do you top this, and, and what's the process like of trying to do this all over again?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think we know this now, and it, it feels pretty good, so we don't want to lose this feeling. Um, I think we got a lot of great players coming back next year, so we'll, we'll welcome the freshmen in with open arms. I think mean, they're already here for Summer B, so we'll, we'll welcome those guys in, You know, get them used to the culture and, and get them used to what we do, and excited to make another run next year. Uh, but we're going to enjoy this one for a little bit.
1: What's next for you in the short term? Are you part of the golfing crew, or what, do, what are you uh, going to do this summer?
4: I am part of the golfing crew. I am. Um, We'll see. Um, you know, I might go get a couple more innings up in the Cape. I'll have to talk to Sully about that. I might uh, stay here. I might go home. Really just see what the best for me is. I will be playing golf wherever I go, though. I'll tell you that. I'll bring my sticks with me. Um, but just kind of, you know, continue to build off this year. I had some, some good outings, and I had some outings that, you know, I really need to improve on. So, like all of our guys, there's a lot of stuff for improvement, um, and hopefully I, I can get, get to work uh, this summer and this fall, and, and next spring come out even better. Well, good luck with the golf game and congratulations on being a national champion. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Hey, hey.
1: Surviving a gauntlet like the NCAA tournament requires some unexpected names to come to the forefront. And for the Gators, that group would almost certainly be led by Tyler Dyson. The freshman helped Florida escape super regionals and then found himself making his first career start in the clinching game in Omaha. We caught up with the Bradenton native as the celebration was wrapping up and asked him how gratifying it was to pull off such a feat with his teammates.
5: Yeah, I mean, this is why you come to Florida. This is why you, uh, you lace up every day and you, you go out there in the fall practices, fall workouts and then early spring and throughout the season. It's a grind, but this is, this is why you do it, and to bring back the first championship to Florida and celebrate well with all these fans. It was a lot of fun.
1: Your story is unique in that you didn't even pitch until, was it your senior year of high school?
5: Yeah, I didn't start pitching until my senior year of high school, but um, came here, took the pitcher role full on, worked a lot in the off days and after games and practices just trying to do extra work just to get ready because pitching at this level and the hitters at this level are so good that you can't just say, okay, I have a fastball, it's fast, I can get away with it. you got to work on off-speed pitches, you got to work on location, you got to work on moving the ball. So I'm just working on that and just adjusting to the pace of the game.
1: What was your background before that point? Because I think people hear that, they think, well, how do you go from not pitching to pitching the clinching game of the World Series in that short a period of time? What, what background did you have?
5: Uh, well, I was a shortstop in high school, and then uh, my travel team, uh, going into my senior year, I pitched a couple innings, and um, I guess I threw hard enough, my high school coach saw that, and I uh, got offered by a couple of schools as a pitcher in that summer. So then, coming into my senior year, he's like, okay, you're going to be our pitcher. I said, okay, worked a lot before the season, preseason-wise, and mechanics and just trying to learn how to pitch Mm -hmm. a little bit more and just getting to here. I put a lot of extra work in and just to get to this point and have the the trust of the coaching staff and the trust of the team to to go out there in the clinching game again in the World Series Mm -hmm. is pretty remarkable.
1: So what's that moment like when you find out you're getting the ball in that spot? I mean a lot of people would say wait he hasn't started a game all year. How is he getting the ball tonight? How did you find out and what was your preparation like?
5: Uh, Well Sully. Uh, I heard one of his press conferences before the first game, actually, that it would just depend on who was needed to be used in the first game. And obviously Michael Byrne did a great job uh, coming in and shutting the door after Brady's game, the first game. That pitching job was unbelievable. And with those two guys going in, I knew that it was probably going to be me going the next day. And then after the game, Sully told me. And uh, I was excited for it, a little nervous, but Mm -hmm. that just goes with the the game. If you don't get butterflies about it, why are you playing? So, um, no, I was very excited that I got the ball and was able to help these guys win.
1: You haven't had a chance to pitch at Alex Box Stadium yet, but a lot of people felt like that's what Omaha turned (laughs) into. With all of those LSU fans
5: and as rowdy as they got, what was that like for you as you went through last night's game? The biggest thing is I I like pitching in those situations because when you silence the crowd, it kind of makes you feel better. And when there's 25,000 LSU fans chanting "Go Tigers," uh, there, it it, it felt like that. There's I know the stadium holds about 24, something like that, but we're standing. (laughs) Give it a few
1: more. Yeah, Yeah,
5: and um, our fans did a great job. They they stayed the whole game. LSU fans kind of uh, left in the eighth inning, but um, LSU fans were into it. Our fans were into it. It was it was funny in my mind. They were saying "Let's go Tigers," but I heard "Let's go Tyler." So I I, I tried to turn it into a (laughs) turn to positive. Yeah, turn into a positive. And see what I could do with the crowd, but um, no, I felt it was fun out there. That's like I said, that's why you come to Florida. That's why you, you put yourself in the position to pitch that game in Omaha. and That's what you work for a year, because mm. like, I didn't pitch in the regionals, but um, my name was called in the super regionals. I, I knew that I had to, I had to step up, or or else it could be our season with the depth that like, we didn't have that day because of the, all the rain delays. Right. But right. Um, no, going to this, I was I was excited for it, a little nervous, but um, I felt confident in my abilities to do it.
1: 103 years of Florida baseball, the first championship. This is your first go-around. Can you have the perspective to appreciate what this means to so many people who followed this program for such a long time?
5: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. It hasn't sunk in yet, totally. But um, to be able to say, yeah, I was the first one, Mm -hmm. brought the first championship back to Florida, this is such a historic program. There's been guys that come through here and just amazing, amazing talent, amazing teams. But to be the first team to pull it off in Omaha is just unbelievable, and no one can ever take that away from us. We're the first team to bring it back to Gainesville.
1: What people love to do as soon as you win one is they want to know, well, how are you going to win the next one? So, when does that pivot point happen mentally? When you're celebrating this, but then starting to think about what you're going to need to do for an encore?
5: Uh, we're going to start, we're going to enjoy this one for probably the summer, and then come back in the fall and just try to try to do it again. You know, there's there's so many great teams in the country that you see teams, uh, Coastal Carolina who wanted to even make the tournament this year. So mm-hmm. there's baseball is a very humbling sport, and once you get too high, it's going to bring you back down. in in a heartbeat and i've realized that this year i've had my moments like that but now we'll get back in the fall and just try our best with the workouts and keep grinding like we never wanted because we will have a target on our back next year as the defending champions and we're we're trying to defend that title and defend this ground
1: what does the summer look like for you i know a lot of guys go they play in the cape they try and get some innings elsewhere what are you going to be doing between now and fall
5: ball Uh, i'll be going to the northwoods league up in uh, madison wisconsin and just working on developing my off-speed pitches uh working on developing a change up and uh working out of the windup more just to get myself familiar with that in case uh, whatever Sully decides with the starters next year. Um, just coming in, just working on my commands and my, my off-speed pitches because that's what you need at this level. You need off-speed pitches that you can throw for a strike in any count, whether it's 3-2 or 0-0. So just just getting to that situation, get to the point where I feel confident with, all, with three pitches. And not just two, it's to throw the hitters off a little more and try to work on that. Good luck up in Wisconsin. Congratulations Thanks on so being a
1: freshman national champion. It's pretty
5: cool. Yeah, it is. When it sinks in, it'll be It's awesome, but we're going to enjoy this one for a while.
1: Two weeks in Omaha is quite a long trip, but when it ends with a dog pile, few complain about the excessive laundry waiting to be done back home. Scott Carter was there covering every pitch and breathtaking moment, and we began our chat by asking him at what point he felt like Florida could be a championship team.
6: For me, Adam, it was later in the year when they really did get rolling in the SEC. You know, they opened with those three losses at Auburn, and then they lost two or three at Tennessee at home. And that's when you're starting to wonder, okay, maybe this team isn't gonna, uh, you know, be as good as a lot of people projected. But then. They kept on winning down the stretch. You know, Mm -hmm. they finish as co-champions with LSU and the SEC. They win the East. So, going into the postseason, I mean, once you get to that level, I mean, with a team like Florida, they had enough pitching. You knew that. And pitching's going to carry you in the postseason. As far as when did I really think they were capable of winning, I mean, I think once they got through the SEC and were co-champions with LSU – I mean, I knew this was a dangerous team. They could beat anybody at that point because they took two or three against LSU in the regular season before they really got hot. And uh, once you get into the postseason, I think there were some big questions going into that final game of the regional. I mean, you Mm -hmm. know, they lose to Bethune cookman which they'd never lost to in history. 31 31 tries, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then you're wondering, okay, boy, are they going to bounce back from this? You you like them to bounce back just from – the fact you knew they had a deeper lineup and of course they did they win that game so then against wake forest it's the classic great pitching against a great hitting lineup mm-hmm. you know they split the first two games but they lose that second game on the walk-off home run here at mckeith and stadium uh, that wake forest hits not the gators mm-hmm. so that it's just such an unusual thing to lose on your home field on a walk-off home run and then have to come back and beat those guys a few hours later
1: as opposed to usually in baseball it's the next day but because yeah. of the rain delays they had to play a double header yeah. which is very unusual
6: yeah I had to play and then that was uh one that I'm like okay this could be this the run could be over but yeah that's where Tyler Dyson goes out pitches five great innings of right. shutout ball after Brady Singer started Alex Fado comes in adding relief and gets his only save of the his career I think and then, you know, after that point, once you get to Omaha, everything's possible anything's possible because the game does change some out there. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's just more intense. Every pitch is intense. You know, a lot of these teams get out there, and they do become tight and stuff. And uh, the Gators were not that team. They've been that team in the past. I think people recognize now that Kevin O'Sullivan has taken more talented teams to Omaha, certainly offensively. I mean, there's no question. And pitching-wise, I mean, last year alone you've got A.J. Puck, Logan Shore, Dane Dunning, three guys who all went in the top 47 picks of last year's MLB draft. Wow. Uh, not many programs can lose that and then say, yeah, we can still win the World Series next year. But here the Gators did it. It was just their season, Adam. I mean, that's a kind of a easy explanation. <laughs> that's what happens in sports sometimes. The teams that you don't expect to win, win it. They got a lot of things that went their way out there in Omaha. Things that haven't gone their way in the past. But it all really goes back to, if you want to dissect why they won, it all goes back to their starting pitching. I mean, Alex Fado was brilliant. Brady mm-hmm. Singer was excellent. Tyler Dyson gave them exactly what they needed in game sure. two against LSU. True freshman, biggest stage of his life. You'd seen some signs that he was capable of that, but you just don't know – he goes out there against a very, very good-hitting LSU team. Six shutout innings, finally ran into some trouble in the seventh, gives mm-hmm. up a run, and then they get a break there in the seventh. I mean, the double play where the runner has to stay at third because of interference at second on the double play, it happened. And uh, that's a special moment, special team, yeah. um, one that I don't think a lot of people, you know, we all say they had the talent, but, I mean, I would not have bet money at midseason that they were going to win the College World Series. That's the thing I love about sports. You really don't know.
1: A lot of people have talked about this being one of Soli's. If there's six teams that have gone out there in the last eight years, this is maybe the fifth most talented. And there's this interesting phenomenon, I think we've talked about it, of where teams who you don't expect to win championships often win more frequently than the teams that are stacked and everybody thinks are going to win. And, And we were just talking a few minutes ago, but even if you go back to Gator football, I mean Steve Spurrier said multiple times, Uh, including the podcast we did with him which we'll hear it in a few weeks that the 2001 team is probably the the best team most talented he's ever coached they didn't even get to Atlanta with the quirk of the Tennessee game being moved to the end of the season losing it in a heartbreaker and and they've got nothing to show for but then the 2006 team which is a great team you know don't don't get me wrong but if you stack it up 2001 Gator football team would probably beat the 06 team the 06 team is the one that won the title I mean, softball, the 2014 softball team, probably less talented than the 09-11 teams went to the finals, but they didn't get the breaks, and that's such a big part of this. I don't know if it's fate. I don't know if it's something in the the cosmos, (laughs) but things just have to work out a certain way to win a championship, and it's not always the case for the teams that should.
6: No, you're exactly right. You know, When I look at the Florida teams that I've gone out to cover in Omaha, I really thought the 2012 team, they went out there as the number one national seed. Mm-hmm. They've got Mike Zanino at catcher, the player of the year. They've got Brian Johnson, uh, you know, who's now in the majors with the Red Sox. Hudson Randall, uh, a great lineup. I mean, uh, looking back, to just top to bottom, I mean, Preston Tucker, who was the career home run leader mm-hmm. here in Florida, who's been in the majors with the Astros. So you just looked at that, and I, I went out there thinking, yeah, they're they're going to go out here. They're going to steamroll this field.
1: You packed for two weeks that time. Yeah, and guess what?
6: <laughs> two games and out. Yeah. And that's just the way sports go. I've always said this. Baseball is the hardest game to really translate. You know, when you're looking at matchups and trying to figure out potential outcomes, baseball is the one to where the game itself, it neutralizes talent in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You know, like we saw the ball bounce off first base for Florida in one of the games out there. Deacon the TCU his, game, yeah. Yeah, he hits his chopper out the first base. I've seen balls bounce off corners of bases and stuff before. But I don't know if I've ever saw one just plop on the base like a pillow and bounce off. And It, it was really weird. It was just enough to get him safe and keep that rally going and Gators win. And, you know, those things have gone against them in game two. You know, we mentioned just a moment ago about the interference play. And then um, – I remember when they were out there in 2011, my first time out there with them, they had the bases loaded, nobody out against South Carolina. Mm-hmm. They hit into a crazy double play where the ball, I, th- I can't remember all the details, but I think it bounced off the pitcher or the mound or something and kind of allowed them to turn a double play going home mm-hmm. that you just don't see hardly ever. That's just what happens. And You know, we as sports fans, we love the debate about – this team against that team. I mean, it's been a hot topic in the NBA this summer because, you know, people are now saying, well, the Warriors are the best team in NBA history. Michael Jordan says, oh, don't forget about us. Right. You know, Magic Johnson says they would never beat us to the 80s showtime. Showtime Lakers. You know, the, the <laughs> Celtics fans are like, you gotta be kidding. They would never beat Bird or right. and Michael Parrish. So, I mean, that's part of the fun thing about sports because mm. we do have these debates, but we see it time and time again that we really just don't know what's going to happen. And even those closest to the Florida baseball program this year I still think there's some like wow we really won this thing Mm -hmm. you know it's going to take a a little while to settle in but it it was really cool to see last night you know getting back into town yesterday afternoon celebration for the team over at McKeithen Stadium last night I'll be honest with you there were more people there than I expected because some of the crowds during the regional were disappointing to me and but they really came out to welcome these guys home Uh, there's a big crowd they got to go down the field talk to the players uh, get autographs, take mm-hmm. pictures. I just thought it was a, a really good moment for the program uh, and for the players and coaches because it was a case where LSU fans really travel for baseball. You saw it on TV if you weren't there. I mean, the place, it did feel like Baton Rouge, some of the players. Dalton Guthrie said, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes when you feel like you got 25,000 people rooting sure. f- against you. But they got it done, and Florida baseball now is a national champion.
1: One of the things you have to have to win in baseball, we've learned, is is great pitching, and especially starting pitching. And one of the the quirks of the College World Series is you can have a huge star-making performance for someone who doesn't even touch the ball in the championship series. And that's what Alex Faito is now immortalized forever for. Two unbelievable starts and then didn't get to pitch in the finals because he was already burned by that point. Mm -hmm. But what he did, it really set the stage for Florida to get to the finals and ultimately hoist the trophy.
6: Yeah, he uh, threw unbelievably out there with those two starts against TCU earned the uh, most outstanding player in the World Series. You know, going back to those two starts, you you knew Alex. I mean, he's a first-round pick of the Detroit Tigers. I mean, Florida fans are very familiar with him and what he brought to this team and how uh, electric he can be on the mound. But he did it on that bigger stage out there, which Mm -hmm. obviously raises more awareness about Alex Fado and what this guy's about. And you saw that intensity on the mound out there, like – He really gets locked in, and this is a guy who is very approachable, one of the nicest guys on the team, but man, you put him between those lines (laughs) and on that mound, he turns into a tiger, and uh, he pitched like one out there, 14 and a third scoreless innings, 22 strikeouts, I think he walked six, and every time he got in a jam at him, he just kind of wheeled his way out of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Him and Mike Rivera have such a tight connection with the chemistry between uh, pitch selection and And just knowing each other, knowing opposing hitters, I thought they were just so locked in out there as a unit. And um, to do what he did, I mean, he did pitch himself into Gator baseball lore. I mean, whenever they're talking about Florida baseball and great players and great moments in its history, I mean, Alex Fado is going to be right there at the top. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Omaha folks got a chance to see it, and the ESPN viewers got a chance to see it. And now it's kind of funny. I always think of these situations for these guys. He's out there pitching in front of twenty five thousand, and now he's getting ready to, you know, sign his first professional contract with the Tigers, and he'll probably be assigned to, you know, some Class A or Low A team, and he'll make he pitching at Tim Tebow, right? Yeah, yeah. He'll, <laughs> you never know. He'll make he a, he'll make his next start in front of probably a, a few hundred on a <laughs> on a hot, humid night, in right. some little town around America, and that's the way pro baseball is. But for sure. Alex Fado, his place in Gator baseball history is is locked in now.
1: There's been a lot of talk about the looseness with which this team played out there. And I talked to to Dane Dunning about it last week. And If you didn't hear that interview, go back and listen to episode 87. Really cool to hear from Mm -hmm. a recent former Gator about his experience. Now what's happening for him at that next level that you talk about. But the looseness part, we saw it all the way through the finals, even stuff like – I mean, stupid stuff like the rally cup. They're putting a little you know, powered cup in a plastic bag and carrying it around everywhere. But it was very different than the energy that they had in previous years. So I think the question has to be, and this is something that Sully is probably pondering, as you monitor and evaluate your failures, you do the same with your successes. How did Florida achieve that looseness? And how do you bottle that up for future years? Because that was obviously a successful formula.
6: Sully addressed that one of his earlier press conferences out there in Omaha, and it almost caught me off guard a little bit. But it really uh, highlighted the change in his focus or approach mm-hmm. to taking a team out of there. He said he wasn't even checking curfews because he really trusted this team that that much. And of course, that happened over the course of the year. Right. But I do think he he said they used to go to Omaha, and he would he would already have scouting reports on the other side of the bracket, future opponents. He his mind was all over he said he would even fly back on the off day maybe to take a recruiting trip somewhere really yeah i mean that's how wow he was really still doing his day-to-day tasks while trying to win in omaha and i think over time he's realized you have to be focused on here you have to realize that this is a special moment to get here first of all this is maybe the only time that some of these players and their families will ever get to experience this. So you have to allow them a little bit of time on their own and to really soak in the experience. And remember, yeah, we're here for to win this thing, but also you want to make sure you appreciate the experience. And I think it took him really a few times out there mm-hmm. to kind of go with that mindset. But he definitely has been different this year just from having his – his young kids around, mm. you know, watching them run around the ball field before games, interacting with the players and coaches, and I mean, and you know, Sully was even, he's just seemed more relaxed. Uh, he's a very intense guy. Anybody can see that on TV during a game. I mean, he, he is locked in, and that that's really him 24-7. I mean, he's not much different when you walk by him in the hotel lobby. You always feel like this guy's got something spinning up there that he's focused on right. at that moment. But I think we saw some lighter moments from him and we certainly you know when you start as the leader of any organization if that's your if you allow yourself to kind of enjoy it some and uh, you know that relaxing it filters down into your team mm-hmm. and if baseball is a game I mean you have to be somewhat relaxed to excel at the biggest stage because there's already it's already hard enough to play the game itself sure and you know so I think that's just something that he's learned over the course of his career and going to Omaha and uh You know, this was his sixth time out there. Uh, They've been close, hadn't got it done, but they finally got it done, and I would say that new approach of just allowing these guys to appreciate it and have more fun and allowing himself to appreciate and have more fun, I think that probably had as much to do with anything out there. Singers pitching, Fados pitching, I think that was equally important.
1: When I spoke to Jackson Coar and Tyrod Dyson earlier in this show, and asked him when is the pivot point for looking ahead to doing it again next year. They said okay we we got the summer that's what we're going to do and (laughs) then we'll look at next year. But guess what we can look at next year right now. So let's talk about the outlook for Florida baseball next season. Who is leaving and what shape does that leave Florida in to defend their national title?
6: Well we'll start with the guys who are leaving. The biggest loss will obviously be Alex Fado, Mm -hmm. you know, when we say these losses, I mean, these are expected losses. These guys,
1: if you're a first round pick, if you're you're, you're with Alex, he's
6: leaving. You got guys like Dalton Guthrie, a six round pick and, and Mike Rivera, catcher, a six round pick. Both of these guys have potential to be future major leaguers They're key parts. I'll be surprised if both or if either one is back next year. So Mm -hmm. I'm expecting those guys to sign and go pro. You know, after that, it's a, it's a little more iffy. But, I mean, to me, the most intriguing one is J.J. Schwartz. Sure. Because, you know, when he was here as a freshman, he put up such great numbers, people are automatically thinking he could be a first-round pick.
1: They were talking about him as a I mean, a top-ten pick yeah. when he was eligible. And
6: then, of course, it came into this year before the draft where you had people, I mean, he's he struggled somewhat since his freshman year. He's still their leading guy with home runs. He's mm-hmm. still their leading guy with RBIs. It just hasn't translated to batting average, but I think he's going to finish. I don't have the number in front of me, but around 270 or t- somewhere around there. Uh, but he was a 38th-round pick a couple weeks ago by the Rays. 38-round draft picks. A lot of those guys will come back to college mm-hmm. for their senior year to see if they can improve that stock. Now, with him winning a national title as a junior, does he just want to go ahead and say, hey, I've, we've accomplished what I can here. Let's go on and go into the pros and see if I can work my way up. So it's going to be an interesting decision. Uh, for him and see what he does there. So if he returns, it's a, to me, it's a big uh, advantage for the Gators. Mm-hmm. If not, you know, guys like Austin Langworthy, freshman this year who contributed. I think he led the team in RBIs out in Omaha. Deacon Lippitt, second base. He'll be a guy they'll look to for more offense. Jonathan Dindy, third baseman. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they've got some talented key guys there returning, but they're they're going to be hit, you know, with starting catcher, potentially starting first baseman. Obviously, you're losing senior Ryan Larson. Nelson Montonato back in center field, or I'm sorry, right field. He's really their most patient hitter, and I think he is due for a breakout year next year. I think he has some more power potential on him. He certainly gets on base a lot. It's kind of a catalyst mm-hmm. in the middle of the lineup. But then you go to pitching, Adam, where I think, again, if we're talking about the Gators in Omaha next year, I think – we're going to be talking about the pitching probably more than the lineup again. And that starts with Brady Singer, who is back. He's only a sophomore this year, as is Jackson Kowar. So you, right away, you've got two of your big three mm-hmm. starters back. And then you got Michael Byrne, who led the nation with 19 saves. Uh, he's back. I mean, that's a huge part of the equation there. And then the guy we saw on the mound in game two, Tyler Dyson, he's back. So mm-hmm. you're looking right now, if you're projecting or starting rotation next year, you're looking at Singer, Coar, Dyson. You got Byrne in the bullpen. You got guys. Bad. Yeah, I mean, so, I, so right away, I mean, they, they're going to have enough to be right back in the Omaha chatter when the year starts. They'll probably be a top five nationally ranked team at the start of the year. And then it's just a matter of, do they find that chemistry? Do they avoid those prolonged slumps? And O'Sullivan talked about that a little bit. When you have that great pitching, that's how you avoid those long slumps. So, Mm -hmm. you know, even if you go in a little slide for a weekend, like getting swept at Auburn, your pitching is good enough to usually, you're you're not going to suffer five, six, seven straight losses. And that helps a team's mentality and just not going down the downward spiral.
1: So this baseball championship completes an incredible month for the florida program to wrap up the year talk about finishing strong (laughs) three national titles in the last month of the athletic season and it's just amazing because i think people can take it for granted around this program because you're just used to winning so frequently at a high level but there's a lot of programs in the country that have never won a national title in anything and florida has now won 39 national titles and the bulk of those have come in the last 10 to 15 years
6: yeah they really have and That is something that I'm glad you pointed out because sometimes you do lose track of it here. Like I was talking last night, um, you know, I just got back from Omaha. And then I went to St. Louis for the NCAA championships in gymnastics. A lot of places, if I was doing what I'm doing or anybody, the UA or UF, the coaches, I mean, they're already, they're kind of on slow time right Right, now. Here, the the slow time doesn't last very long. It's Uh, July and things are still crazy. Yeah, it's like here we are, June 29th right now Mm -hmm. and. uh, we're talking about just the last Gator sporting event of the year was what June twenty seventh two nights ago. Not any, many schools are saying that other than LSU, but uh, that's a great thing about being around here because that it keeps interest, and that's why Gator athletics are so big in Florida and really nationally. I mean, so mm-hmm. many fans of this program is because of these teams like this Gator baseball team and these special moments uh, like the game two championship that dog pile. People are going to remember that and the players. I mean. Like we talked about earlier, Alex Fado now has a little place in Gator athletic lore. Like, how many other people can you know? I mean, obviously, you know all the Tebos and the Spurgers. But Alex Fado in baseball, I mean, he's if they ever put up a baseball statue outside a baseball stadium, it's probably Fado Alex, Alex Fado <laughs> might be the leading yeah. candidate right now. So, you know, <laughs> him, Brad Wilkerson, those guys. Uh, and it was cool to see, like, on social media, like, how many former Gator athletes we are like, tweeting the other night about mm-hmm. the team. Everybody from, like, a swimmer, Dara Torres, who's obviously an Olympian people are familiar with, with former baseball players, football players. Current at, football players. Yeah, current. Yeah. So it just shows you there is a bond here because of that success. I mean, I think that's why when you set those standards so high and you can attract these athletes who want to be the best, and the, that's why the consistency of the the programs are the way they are because they're getting the best of the bunch. And they've got some really good coaches here and uh, they get the support from the administration they need. And uh, that's when magic happens.
1: As most people hear this, they'll be turning their calendar to July. And that means that football is not far away. And, and some people would argue that the start of the football season, <laughs> SEC media days, or just a few days of lots of talk without a lot happening, which is what it really is. But if we're trying to prop it up if you want if people want to believe that they're close to football season, we won't take that away from, but let's just talk about the next six weeks because we're not going to speak until before football season, so what's the outlook for Gator football between now and the build up to Michigan
6: Well, this build up's going to be as you said, starting with SEC media days you know it's a chance for football to kind of take center stage in the middle of the summer for uh, really a week because mm-hmm. these schools are all spread out over the course of, what, four days up there. Florida's up there on a Tuesday, July 11th, and uh, there's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of quarterbacks up there, Adam. Or usually there's... there's well, there
1: a, weren't a lot last year, but I think I saw somewhere they're expecting nine quarterbacks to be there this year, which is a sign yeah. that more teams are set at that position. Yeah,
6: and usually in in this in, at this event, if you have a veteran quarterback and he's one of the leaders of your team and you're expecting him to be one of the, the best players on your team... that that, that's just a position that's going to be there well the Gators haven't taken one up there so getting to what I'm really getting at here is the quarterback situation at Florida is what we'll still be talking about a lot for the rest of the summer until those guys report to camp in early August and and start really competing and and us getting some kind of feedback from Jim McIlwain exactly Mm -hmm. how that's going because everyone knows they just added Malik Zaire the uh, fifth year graduate student from Notre Dame so you you had a veteran to the mix, like they did last year with Austin Appleby. A lot of fans out there seem to think, you know, maybe he's going to be the starter. I don't really necessarily see it that way. I, I see that adding him is a—it's a good move, I think, by McElwain, just to have a veteran presence in there because mm-hmm. you—you know—you've got two redshirt freshmen who have never taken a snap in a real game, in Trask and the uh, Franks. You have a veteran guy back with six games under his belt, Luke Del Rio. Zare and him, you know, they can compete, they can teach. And then you got the freshman, Jake Allen, who just got here. And then you got the freshman who we saw a little glance of in the spring, Darius Tony, who, uh, you know, gets some looks at quarterbacks. So that's a big group. And not to be able to sit here and say who's definitely going to start that Michigan game, well, that's a lot of the reason why that position will be talked about. I mean – I think most people at the end of spring assumed Felipe Franks was going to be that guy. Mm-hmm. But uh, with this Zaire news and the, his addition, does it mean that we may see multiple guys? Does it mean that Franks is still a guy? This Zaire is here to push him? Does it mean not to count out Luke Del Rio because he's the guy who has the most experience in his 5-1 in his sixth career? Starts here, UF. Mm -hmm. So it's a great mystery. So that's why. (laughs) So
1: many possibilities, so few answers.
6: So many possibilities, so few answers. A familiar uh, storyline around Florida football, and yet they've gone to -to back-to-back SEC Mm -hmm. championship games. So one thing that Jim McElwain's proven in his two years here, yes, he's entered each season with major quarterback questions, and yet the Gators have been able to overcome them. I think this year maybe it's more imperative that they get some answers sooner because, first of all, you're starting – The season right off the bat against Michigan, which is going to be a big challenge, no question. Uh, And then, of course, the defense that we're used to with the Gators these last few years. I mean, they they lost some talent from this this group uh, with Tabor and Wilson and Brian Cox and Jared Davis, Jared Davis and Alex Anzalone, Marcus May, Marcus May, Caleb Branch. Just a lot of those names. That's a lot. You say them like that, they start to add up. That's a lot of big names. So. I have confidence, I believe the coaches have confidence that they have the talent on defense to be a really good defensive team, but I think they may need some refinement early on i, I don 't know if they 're going to come out of the the gate swinging and and just start you know crunching people right away. I think this is a unit that may have to grow into itself and learn throughout the season so that even puts more focus on your offense and your quarterback position. And the th- strange thing is, when you look at this offense, I think they've recruited well and gotten the program back to where they have as deep of an offensive roster as mm-hmm. they've had, especially at the skill positions, maybe since the end of the Meyer era. But the quarterback position, that's that's the key to it all. We all know that. Jim McElwain knows that. And until there's some clarity there, there's going to be questions. Mm-hmm. And we'll we'll keep talking. I know we'll continue talking about it. Hopefully not until the end
1: of time. Though sometimes it, it does seem that way. So last thing for you: two weeks in Omaha. I imagine you've uh, you've eaten a, a good bit of red meat. But what what's the Scott Carter summer like now that the uh, the merry-go-round has temporarily stopped?
6: Well, my first thing, Adam, is to reintroduce myself to my wife and kids. <laughs> so I'll try to do that some this week. But not seriously. I mean. Football is starting, uh, you know, I'll go up to SEC media days. So, there, there is no there's no vacation. Yeah, that's, I that's mean, I, I think after that, I'm going to try to, I definitely want to take a couple <laughs> of naps and maybe go to the beach.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Just to ask you on vacation, you immediately bring it back to football. I see where your head's at, but that's good because people need to continue checking out everything you're writing over at Carter's Corner on FloridaGators.com. And, of course, they'll hear you right back here on the podcast in it, it seems like a ways away, but it'll be here before you What's know this, it.
6: What's this, podcast number 88?
1: This is number 88 so today. over
6: two seasons, so uh, that's a lot of podcasts. It's a lot of podcasts,
1: and there's still, and there's more to come, coming up in the next few weeks. We've got Scott Strickland, Steve Spurrier, Jim McElwain, so people need to stay tuned because while the season for the Gators may be over, the podcasts continue, yeah. and there's more content for people to enjoy. Well, that's
6: awesome. I, I can, I'm looking forward to the one on Spurrier, and you know the recent thing with uh, Chris did, my colleague Chris Harry on the 25-year anniversary of the Swamp. Mm -hmm. I know there's some things in the working for this next season. I mean, that's going to be big, especially for fans. I mean, the Swamp, you know, I could talk to my younger relatives or cousins or your generation. I mean, a lot of you. You young people who are on my lawn for some reason. Yeah, you probably think the Swamp's just like the Swamp. But, (laughs) no, it was. I I (laughs) remember remember when it was called Florida Field. That's all you called it, you know, Uh. like in the 80s until 1992, that summer when Steve Spurrier picked up the phone and pitched the idea, and look mm. here, twenty five years later, so that's going to be a fun part of this upcoming season too.
1: Yeah, this is podcast number eighty eight, and I was born in the year eighty eight, so I know wow. none of what you speak wow. about a life before wow. the swamp. But I look forward to learning about that history throughout
6: this upcoming season. Yeah, we'll, we'll get you. We'll get you ed- educated. Now, I look forward to education.
1: <laughs> and uh, again, Scott, thank you so much. We appreciate it. All right, thank you, Adam. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. As we plan ahead for the fall season, we want your feedback to find out what you want to hear, so please tweet at Gators Podcast, message us on Facebook, or email gatorspodcast at gmail.com. Keep a lookout for those upcoming episodes featuring Scott Strickland, Jim McElwain, and Steve Spurrier throughout the summer, as we'll continue feeding your chomp here on the official podcast of the Gators. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you at the beach.